Well, thank you for joining us this week, Crosspoint Community Church. I want to share a couple of announcements with you. Um, we are going to continue to move forward with our renovations of the front of the building. Um, things are moving slowly, but they are moving forward. So please be encouraged in knowing that um, things are happening. We're going to create a great welcome center. We're going to be handicap accessible. Good things are happening. Please, if you happen to see Nathan Seidner, give him a big social distancing high five, if you will, or a word of encouragement. He's working really hard to make sure that we can move forward with a lot of details that are too big for me to understand. So thankful for him, thankful for the rest of the elders as well and making that happen. Um, also want to remind you, if you're giving to Crosspoint Community Church, that we do have Tithely available as a platform for you to set up monthly giving uh, opportunities if you'd like. Um, you can also just snail mail your checks if you'd like or if walk, walk them into the building. And um, I'm here usually throughout the week. So if you'd like to stop by and say, hey, I know I'd certainly appreciate seeing your face. Also want to remind you that the August prayer calendar is available. So if you would like to um, participate in that, take a name every day and a scripture verse for the week and pray for that person, um, it's a great opportunity for us to connect and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in this time. Celebration Sunday, still happening on August 30th. Please bear with us as we figure out details, um, given the social distancing requirements and stuff like that. We want to make sure that this is a God-honoring, um, worshipful time. And so please uh, pray with us. Pray, for, pray with us that we'll find the right place to have it, the right situation, and all those details will work out. If you are interested in baby dedication and baptism, um, please let me know as soon as you can. Um, I would love to uh, work with you on that, find out more um, about what's going on in your family families and um, just celebrate what the Lord is doing in our midst. also want you to know that work nights are still happening on Fridays, usually I think around five o'clock. Um, if you'd like more information about that, um, you can see Nathan. You can uh, also just message me or uh, get in touch with me somehow. We can um, let you know the projects that are being worked on next door and over here at the church as well. All right, so those are our announcements. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. I'm really thankful for um, what he has to say to us in 1 John. So would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father, in these interesting times, we look to you um, not only for our regular needs, but for additional needs, Lord, for um, protection from uh, viruses, Lord, for uh, safety and wisdom as we move throughout uh, the world that we're living in right now, that, that we would be bold to live by faith in you as well, Lord, that you would show us um, a great confidence that we ought to have in Christ um, in this time, knowing that all things will be working together for our good, um, for our joy in you. You are doing wonderful things, even in the midst of deep darkness that is hard for us to see what you are doing. Lord, I pray that as we are meeting with groups this morning um, or later on or whenever we're listening to this message, I pray that you would be in our midst and that you would uh, glorify Christ, that you would show us in a deeper way the great love that you have for him, for us, and, and the love that we are able to walk in with you, Lord. Um, these are difficult times, as I said earlier. It's difficult for us to see you in these times and to walk with you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Open our eyes. Show us the wonder of what you are doing, even a small glimpse, Lord, so that we can know you with confidence and with hope, Lord, that, that the light, the true light is shining and pushing away the darkness. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are carrying heavy burdens because of jobs, because of family sickness, because of whatever trials they're facing, Lord. We pray that you would be with us. Lord, we want to lift up um, our brother Ross and um, you know, his, his medical needs right now, his health needs, Father. Would you be with him? Would you give him great courage um, as he sees doctors and just works through all the, all the things that he's dealing with, Father? We are thankful for his faith 
And we're thankful for the faith of those around us as well who are trusting you through hard times. Lord, would you give us a great time as we sing together, as we pray together, as we hear your word? And would that great time be the time that we hear from you and that we are drawn closer together and that you build up your church for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would turn with me to 1 John, um, this is going to be the most important thing that we do all week long, is looking at God's word. It's more important than even the sermon to follow. It's more important than the songs that we sing. It's important for us to recognize how blessed we are to have this book and to be able to open it up and to listen to God's word again and again. And I'm just so thankful that he is patient with us. He's kind. He's provided so much for us in Christ. And so let's go ahead and look at 1 John. Um, Today the sermon title is Abiding in the Light of Obedience and Love. Abiding in the Light of Obedience and Love. And that's coming from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. So let's go ahead and read that. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the darkness and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's go to the Lord one more time and ask for his help as we look at his word. Father, we thank you that you have indeed provided your word. You've provided your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you illuminate our hearts? Would you teach us what we need to know day by day as we follow Christ, as we walk as he walked, as we abide with you, as we walk in the light, as we keep your commandments, as we keep your word. Lord, help us glorify Christ. Make much of this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, obedience and love is a popular and an unpopular idea in our society today. We love love. It's all we need, right? If everyone would just love one another, the world would be a better place. These and other phrases like them are not hard to find, especially in today's pandemic and divided society. Sometimes perhaps we wonder if the gospel could be better watered down, removed of its offensive elements such as self-denial and judgment and the like, Maybe we could unite everyone under a gospel that doesn't offend us, a gospel of love that doesn't command love. Obeying, even if we're talking about obeying a good God, is still something of a bad word to us in some degree. If love is a strong, affectionate feeling, I shouldn't be told to love as though loving is just something I can do as easily as starting up a car and driving away. How can I be expected to love as an act of obedience? Isn't it my choice? These are a lot of the thoughts that go through the minds of those who don't know Christ and who have decided what love ought to be on their own terms. But for those who abide in Christ, the test of obedience and the test of love, of true love, of true obedience that we'll see in these passages today, they reveal a deep change of heart that comes from abiding in the light of Christ. 
Today, John shows us that if we abide in Christ, we will therefore walk as he walked, reflecting what Christ is like in our daily life. He's going to give us a new old commandment, one instruction that will sum up the whole charge from God and how we ought to relate to one another. Last, we will see the character of true love in the light of Christ and its contrast to darkness and hatred. So if you're taking notes and you'd like to follow along with the outline, we're going to first look at verses 3 through 6 of chapter 2. And we kind of gave this a little subheading of to know him is to follow him. They're the same thing. You know, John is clear throughout this whole letter that his purpose, his desire for us is to know that we know him. And this is an important practice in the life of a believer. John's context of writing included the fact that there were false teachings floating around the church, and that concern highlights the fact that we, what we believe actually matters. True faith has less to do with sincerity or, or how well we think we can emotionally believe something, and it has everything to do with whether we believe the truth. And this is why John opened, John opened his letter by describing the truth about who Jesus is in his first few verses. Fully God and truly man. What we believe matters. Particularly when we come to the main tenets of the faith, such as who Jesus is and what his work of salvation has done for us. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. I wonder today if we were to take that simple phrase, if we keep his commandments... How would we measure up to that? It's important to remember contextually that John doesn't expect sinlessness here. We saw last week that the mark of a believer is not to be found in perfect obedience or in never sinning, but in how, he, how we deal with disobedience or how we deal with our sin. Do we confess and turn from our moments of disobedience so that we can walk in the light with Christ? Just like the one who says, my sin doesn't matter, proves to be a liar if he says he knows him. He is also a liar who says he knows him and he is in the light and that the commandments of God don't really matter. Taking this test of obedience is a pass-fail situation. Either we walk in the light confessing sin and uh, listening to what Jesus has to tell us, building our lives around the good news of what he's done for us, or we are simply those with a lot to say and nothing to back it up in our lives. What we believe matters. But if the proof of what we believe is in words only, then we are actually lying, John says. The truth is not in the one who simply talks a certain talk. By this, we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we say, I know him, but we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. But look at what he says in verse 5. This is interesting. Because this idea of the love of God has kind of had me wrapping my head around it all week. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The love of God is perfected in the one who keeps his word. And so what is this love of God? Because it could mean a lot of things, right? It could mean the love that God has for me. I'm perfected in the love that God has for me. If I keep his commandments, if I keep his word, that makes God happy with me. Is that what he means? Does he mean that this is my ability to harness the love of God and express that to other people? Or does he mean, and I think this is actually what he's talking about here, grammatically speaking, according to people who are much smarter than I am, what it means is that the love that we have for God is perfected by our keeping his commandments, by keeping his word. A lot of times I think we get this backwards. We think 
well, you know, when I figure out how to love God more, then I'll keep his commandments. When, when you, you know, when, when that really happens. But the truth is, is that as I walk with him in the light, as I confess my sin, as I keep his word, as I keep his commandments and work towards that continually, my love for him grows. And John has this future vision uh, in mind here of when he talks about perfection, he knows we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to love God perfectly right now. But there will be a day that Christ will look at us and say, you are finished. You know, he said it is finished at the cross. But when we see him face to face, he will actually look at us and say, my work's done in you. You're perfect now in me, Christ will say. We have every confidence to believe that he will accomplish the work that he has set out to do in and through us. We have great hope with that. So be motivated to obey because of your love for Christ. Because you know that as you walk with him more and more, your love for him, your satisfaction in Christ is naturally going to grow because you'll see him for who he is more and more. You'll see how wonderful his work is more and more. You'll be in his word more and be more astounded by the truth of the gospel. You'll be in prayer and you'll have more passionate time where you're just so glad to be in his presence. Those marks of those mature believers who perhaps even come to prayer and just stop for a second. I can't believe I can pray to God. It's on their lips. I can't believe that God has welcomed me into his family. The one who's welcomed into his family, the one who's walking in the light, is the one who, verse 6 says very clearly, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Interestingly, we should consider our, again, we should consider how our theology affects our practical life in Christ. John uh, opened his letter explaining the humanity of Christ. And if we were to believe the lie that was going around by those Gnostic teachings, that Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man, we might think that he is impossible to follow, that it's not even worth trying to follow Jesus. How could I ever walk in the way that he walked? But because we are abiding in him, because we know he is fully God and fully man, we can walk with him by the spirit by walking in the light because we know him by abiding with him we are better able to resist temptation and and able to walk in according according to his standards this is where the impossible standard of obedience as it seems to us meets us in a way that we can actually grasp it just as john says about jesus himself he is the one that they have he has saw with his own eyes he looked upon and had touched with his hands concerning the word of life when we consider this idea that we are abiding in him, that his spirit is in us, that when he calls us to follow him, we can, in fact, obey. That standard of obedience is not an impossible thing. Christ is not looking for perfection. He's looking for a change of direction. Think about those who literally followed Jesus for three years while he performed his earthly ministry. Do you think they actually obeyed perfectly? Do you think when Jesus called them, and you remember what he said, right? You remember he said, follow me. I mean, that was, that was the call. <laughs> it's, it's just to every, all of the 12 and everyone else. And we don't even know, you know, there were so many more people that were following Jesus, but he would have just said, hey, come on, let's go, follow me. You know, Peter was one who we know stopped and said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He, he confessed, you know, I can't follow you, that's impossible. But what did he do? Jesus was with him and he brought him with him. And this is what he does for us. 
And this is where we can find something really helpful, one of the most helpful things about looking at the ministry of Jesus and examining those who were chosen to follow him. See, he was always with them. I mean, what is it that Jesus is really asking us to do? To walk in the way in which he walked. That means to follow Christ. To know him is to follow him. We cannot do one or the other. We cannot just simply say, I know him, but not walk in the way in which he walked, not have the priorities that he had. Because this is, this is why this is so important. It's not about our own work. We weren't saved by works, right? We were saved by grace, and we are being saved by grace at the same time. He is saving us by grace, not by works that we do. We got to participate, right? And this is where it's really mysterious. And say, like, I can't wrap my head around this. Christ wants me to obey, but apart from him, I can do nothing. His presence is what makes the whole difference abiding with him, him being the place where we stay, where we live, where we dwell, where we make our homes with him, wherever he goes. When he's with us, we can do whatever he calls us to do. We can do it with confidence and with great hope because of the love that he has for us and the love that he's growing in us. We won't be perfect. Perfection will come when we see him face to face. Let's confess knowing he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's stay motivated to follow him, to be in his word, to keep his word. Let the love of God be a great motivator for us to walk in obedience. That love of God will grow to completion. That love is what motivates us to obey, and that love is what we are actually commanded to obey as well. And that brings us to verses 7 and 8, this next section, if you're taking notes. The new old commandment of love in Christ. So if love is our motivation to obey, we find that we are actually walking in obedience when we walk in love, according to verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no, command, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. Think about that darkness. Darkness is passing away. Here John transitions to a greater focus on love in these two verses. John knows that these things were, that things were pretty dark for the church at the time. And let's admit that while things are pretty rough right now, and when they're not as bad as they were back then, uh, but they are still pretty difficult, right? And man, it, it can be hard for us to consider how we can actually walk in faithfulness, walk in love, walk in obedience to these commandments. The Lord is with us. I feel like the shift from the culture ignoring and turning away from Christianity to actively working against it has become clearer even in the past year. Maybe you've noticed that as well. Many think that the church is actually doing more harm than good. Christians are accused of spreading homophobia and racism, bigotry, and other terrible things. If someone in the public eye comes out as a Christian, it seems sometimes like they may as well have come out as a Nazi. It's difficult. Sometimes those who are accused of these things are actually accused rightfully. Sometimes those who claim to know Christ are guilty of the things they're accused of. We live in a day where becoming a pastor or a famous Bible teacher can almost be their thing to embrace a quick route to get rich quickly. Some embrace false doctrine and or deny fundamental truths of the gospel in order to win the culture around them. Darkness in the world is one thing, but what should we think when we see it in the so-called church? I want to walk in obedience. I want to walk in the light. I want to walk in the truth. So what command can John give to me, this old, new command? 
It is simply to love. So we'll see in 9 through 11. But you know, this is, we know this is what he's talking about already. It's an old command. They heard it when they became believers. Yet John says it is actually new in Christ and in us. So how can it be both old and new? John 13, 34 is where Jesus gave this new command. And he called it a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you so you ought to love one another. It is new in Christ because the message of Christ brings new life to us day by day and never gets old. Christ has perfected love for us. When he says, just as I have loved you, we know what he's talking about. We know that that love is sacrificial, that it is considerate of others, that it is one that that even considers others as more important than themselves, that would be willing to love unconditionally and love to an extreme, radical, even death on a cross in order to express that love. That is the heart which he is forming in us to love each other. First, we are called to love his people, the ones we have the most in common with because we have the same Lord. We both know Jesus. That should, as John wrote in chapter 1, verse 3, create fellowship with one another. Our fellowship is with him, and our fellowship is with one another. It would be hard to love those in the world who do not know Christ if we don't first love those who are in him as we are as well. Is this your baseline impression of other believers? Is this where you start when you meet someone, a new believer comes to church or is in your Bible study or whatever it might be? Is this where you start with when you, as we all do, let's all be honest, we're judging people left and right, right? We're considering how we ought to think about this person or that person. When we find out and we see proof in a person's life that they are Christians, that they are our brother or sister in Christ, is that where you begin to form your perception of them? Or do you look at perhaps how smart they are, how funny they are, how kind, how well-dressed or entertaining they may be? Rather than those things or anything else, do you see a kindred spirit because of what Christ has done for them and that he's done that for you? This command is new in us. It is making a difference in us. His call to love is changing our perception of all people, starting with the church The more we walk with Christ, the more we love him. The more we love Christ, the more we love what he loves. And what does he love? Church, he loves you. He loves the church. And we should grow in our love for the church as well as we grow in our love for Christ. It's because we first know him, we abide in him. He creates that new kind of obedience to be able to look at that commandment as not simply a commandment that we just do out of duty, but that we do out of love. Out of, of course, Lord Jesus, what would you have me do? Just tell me. Well, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Okay, I'm in. Show me how to do that. I can't do that by myself. And of course, when we ask him, he's faithful to enable us to obey, to, to enable us to walk with him by his spirit. I love others because Christ loved them. This is new. In him, we're able to love others based entirely in Christ and not in what benefit we could get from that person. So is this the love that you have for other believers? Now consider the world, especially when it seems so against us. Can I love my neighbor who doesn't know and in fact, the Bible says, hates Jesus? If Jesus could and he wants me to, I ought to try out this new command at the very least and have at least even the smallest bit of faith that he'll be faithful to give me the ability to love my neighbor. This is how they will know 
that we belong to Jesus, brothers and sisters, by our love, our love for each other, our love for the lost. And what we believe is important, right? It is necessary to get the gospel right. And when we get the gospel right, the thing that overflows from that is love. And this is interesting. Go back with me. Remember, there are three tests. And right now we're talking about, we we just moved from the test of obedience now to the test of love, which those two are obviously very related, but they're also really related to the test of true faith, to the test of what we believe about Christ. That's what he started with in verses one through four. He started by talking about who Jesus really is and that we need to get Jesus correct. And we could know all sorts of things about Jesus, But if they do not result in our love for God growing and our our desire to enjoy him more than we enjoy the things of the world and our desire to love others that that know Jesus, especially in those who don't know, to be compassionate to them and to long for them to know the Jesus that means so much to us. If that's not truly there, if that love doesn't abide in us, it doesn't matter what we think we know because that knowing changes how you act, how you feel, how you think. Everything is affected by the truth that you know. Our test of obedience, our test of love matters. This law, this new commandment doesn't restrain us. We often think that God's word is just restraining, but in any cases, you see Jesus fulfilling the law of God that commandment that he gives us to love one another or really any of the other commandments, they're not actually restraining, but they're actually liberating us. I don't know how to love other people the way that God loves them unless God does that for and through me, right? And that's liberating. When he says, hey, listen, you know that really difficult person, you need to love them. What he's actually doing is he is liberating and freeing us from living under hatred and anger or unforgiveness for that person. He's freeing us to think of them the way Christ thinks of them and to love them. It doesn't mean we let people walk all over us and and let people take advantage, let people sin. Love does not let people sin. Love tells them, love loves them enough to say, here's the truth of the gospel, here's the truth of Christ. This commandment is new in him because he's fulfilled it. He's shown us a perfect love. This commandment is new in us because it has changed everything for us. And it continues to change everything for us day by day. And if you don't see that change, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not abiding in him. It could. If if there's long seasons where you don't understand that change, where there's just no fruit whatsoever, there's reason to be concerned. But if you have an off day, you could probably look back and realize, I didn't spend time in the word. I didn't spend time in prayer. I didn't call that brother or sister that the Lord put on my heart that I knew I should have reached out to and prayed for them. I didn't use my prayer calendar, perhaps. It's not to be legalistic about that, but the prayer calendar is supposed to be a helpful tool for you. I know for me and for my family, our times around the table when we've gotten the prayer calendar out, and we've said, today we're praying for so-and-so, and we've stopped and prayed for them. That has been important. I know for me, teaching my own heart, teaching my daughter's hearts, um, help walking, with that, walking through that with my wife so that we can know we are united to the body of Christ always. This commandment is new. It is life-changing. And it's new, verse 8 tells us, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This is the great hope that we have. Christ is going to win. The harder the darkness pushes back the light should remind us that the end is near. 
And the end is not something that we should be afraid of or that we should get super weird about. This isn't that we should make cardboard signs and start marching around the city, but we should get serious about Jesus coming back and about really setting our hope on him. The darkness is passing away, brothers and sisters. Things are not always going to be like this. The light is going to shine. It is already shining in him and in us, through us, to the world. Christ has won and his victory is being realized more and more day by day. The end is not a call for us to buckle down and forget the mission that we're here for, to make Christ known. But rather, rather it is for believers the ever-present motivation to obey the call to love others the best way we can. And that is by sharing the gospel of Christ with them. That is a great test when we consider even just the test of love to look at as a sub-question on that test. How do I share the gospel with people? Am I utilizing the greatest thing that I have to express the love of God by telling them, hey, Jesus died for your sins. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. And he loves us enough that he died on the cross. And he rose again so we can have new life in him. He's alive today. Is that what we hope for? When we look up, as Luke 21 tells us, Jesus told his disciples as he was talking about the end times, he said, when you see these things happening, when you see the darkness pushing back and, and, being, and beginning to pass away, look up, your redemption is near. You know, there are times where um, I'll be going through my day and maybe just outside for a second and be thinking about something or whatever and just be reminded for a second to just look up Look at the sky and consider, Jesus is coming back. Am I going to be ready? What does that stir in my heart? Does it stir fear? Does it stir uh, hopelessness that I'm going to lose all the things that I've loved and that I've built, built here on earth? Or can I look at all the things that I've been a part of here on earth, my family, my friends, my education, my job, all the things that I've done to my house, whatever it might be. Those things are good things, but they're going to pass away. We are eternal beings that exist for his glory and to enjoy him forever. And it's an amazing thing. If you would even just practice this with me when you're outside, maybe just once a day, just stop and look up and say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Darkness is passing away. The light's already shining. And Jesus said that that light is shining in you. Because he said that he's the light of the world. He also said that we are the light of the world. And so that light is shining through us. So shine for Christ with his love to other people that they might know you are indeed his disciples. And so you might know that you know him as well. When you feel that angry rage at a politician or a rude customer or a noisy neighbor or an accusing relative, Love them, be patient with them, forgive them, bless them in your prayer time, invite them for ice cream, offer to share Jesus, battle the darkness with the light of Christ and with his love. Abide in that love. You know, John in his later years, and I'm going to apologize, I'll probably use this a few times in this series, but it's just such a great image. If you could just close your eyes and imagine for a second, John the Apostle, probably in his 90s, still alive, the, well, not anymore, but you know, still alive, even though many of the other apostles had died, had been persecuted and, and martyred for the faith. Uh, John was living to a very old age. And, and church history tells us that 
the, the churches would actually take him from church to church from time to time. He couldn't walk. He was very, very old. They would carry him from home church to home church, and he would come in, and people would gather. They were so excited. John, the apostle's here. This is going to be great. What wonderful insight is he going to give us? What's he going to say? I'm ready to sit here and listen to him for hours. And this is what he would say. My little children love one another. And then I, I don't know. I just kind of imagine him being like, I'm going to take a nap now, you know. He's just been worn from years of ministry and loving and following Christ. And he says, here's the thing I need you to know. Little children, love one another. How important is that as a message for us today? Very easy for us to fall to hatred. And we'll get a warning about that in verses 9 through 11. Because it's very easy for us even to have hatred in our hearts for our brothers and sisters in Christ or hatred for those in the world for terrible things that are doing. But God calls us to love them. And so that's where we land at the end here, verses 9 through 11, our last section here, a warning about love and hate and light and darkness. Love cannot simply be a claim, John says soberly in verses 9 through 11. Look at verse 9 again. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It's a hard thing. I mentioned that was hard for him to write because he probably knew people that he was thinking about in the church at Ephesus he was writing to. He's like, ah. Oh, that guy, he says he's walking in the light, but I know there's hatred in his heart. I see it. I hear it in his life. Oh, he's walking in darkness. It pains me to think that. Why? Because I love him. I don't want that for him. God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want us to walk in hatred. To say I'm in the light is a false statement if hatred dominates my heart. There in the light Those who are in the light have their hatred revealed by the same light they're walking in. They confess it, Christ cleanses and forgives them, and they strive for obedience in loving others. That's how those in the light respond to sin. You know, John specifically says about a brother here, and that's that's interesting because, you know, our love for the world is false if it's not accompanied by love for the church, and our love for the church is not real either unless it's accompanied by love for those in the world Our love for Christ and our claim to new life is a lie to others and to ourselves. And John taught us last week that it's even a statement that God himself is a liar if we do not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember he said, if we say we have no sin, we actually make God out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. If we don't love, we're saying the same thing. We're walking in sin. We're walking in darkness. He who hates his brother cannot be in the light, but is in darkness. This isn't about making it to church. It's about exclaiming what, examining, sorry, it's about examining what effects should come from walking in that light. This love is not one that doesn't get annoyed sometimes, that doesn't wish you could give a knuckle sandwich every once in a while to somebody, but it's one that says, hey, that's my brother, or she's my sister. I'd do anything for them. They're part of my true family in Christ, and I love them. This is what is created in the hearts of those who know the love of Christ. John, in chapter 2, verse 7, started that sentence with beloved. He says in 2, verse 1, my little children. In 3 John, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. John loved his, his brothers and sisters in Christ. As the true light shines and the darkness passes away, our true abiding friendships will be those that are in Christ. That affection will grow if you walk in the light. You know, I personally have no special disposition to love others more than anyone else. But when I pray a simple request like, Lord, help me love them, he never says no to that. 
I can tell you, he's never denied my request for help in loving somebody. Remember, this isn't perfect love, but a heart that is in the light is ready to love. Though it sins, though it fails from time to time, he's ready to love. And the one that's in darkness is ready to hate. It may look like it loves sometimes, but if the constant pattern, the consistent direction of the heart is toward hatred, then that person is in darkness and does not have the truth in them. Verse 10 says, This love is a kind that offers no stumbling to the one whom he loves. That is, as a believer, I create no offense by my personality or my words or my actions. Again, not perfectly. But part of my goal in relating to other people is to make sure that if something offends them, that it's something that's coming from the word and not from me. Because the world is going to be offended by the gospel. But it doesn't need to be offended by me on top of it. So I'm careful about how I deliver things. I'm not saying we water down the truth. We need to be true about what's going on here with other people. We need to be serious about the spiritual state of those that we know and love. We don't need to add an additional offense by making something that is minor a bigger issue or, or taking a smaller, a big issue and making it a smaller thing. We don't need to warp these things around. We need to be careful not to, in fact. It begs the question, what hill are you willing to die on when it comes to disagreeing or when it comes to trying to explain the faith to somebody or, or when it comes to how we do church or how we submit to the government and those kind of things. Those are important things that we need to hear both sides of the argument on. We need to also hear and speak those things in love. And let me just say, I don't bring that up because I think anybody's doing a bad job at that. I really think that we're doing a really good job in these areas. Let's continue. Let's press on. Let's not, let's not think that, that we've reached you know, the, the maximum you know, effort level here, but let's press on and doing well in these things. So do your words leave any room for stumbling? Is there room for unnecessary offense? Beloved, the world will be offended by the gospel, but it doesn't need to be offended by us on top of that. How are your opinions received? When you speak to other people on social media or face-to-face or in a text message or an email, whatever mode, it doesn't really matter, are the things that you're proclaiming, are they really worth proclaiming all the time because if it's jesus the answer is absolutely yes but let's be careful not to launch unnecessary unnecessarily unnecessary stumbling blocks boy that's a tongue twister beware the darkness so that it doesn't blind you that's what john says here in verse 11 whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes You know, one of the things that we receive in the gospel of Christ by his Holy Spirit living inside of us is the conviction of our sin. If we're not convicted about our sin, it's very possible that we're blind to it. We're walking in darkness. Let's repent, brothers and sisters. If you don't know Christ today and you happen to be watching this and you're thinking, yeah, I don't really think about my sin. I'm not really worried about it. Take a look at Christ. Take a look at what he's done for you. He loves you. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to deal with your sin. And the way we deal with it is by giving it over to him. So I want to give you three reflection questions for today to help you think about these things. First, do you obey Christ with confidence? That confidence that he is working in you and through you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We don't need to look at obedience and and see this insurmountable hill that we could never get over. But rather, 
Let us think about obedience in the context that he is with us, that Christ calls us to abide in him. That's what John's telling us. We need to make sure that we know that we know him, that we know that we're abiding in him. The solution to sin, the solution to obedience, the solution to all these things that are out of our control is to abide with Christ. Just like those disciples, when Jesus came to them and said, follow me, the reason they were able to follow him, the reason they were able to do everything he said was because he was with them. He's with you, believer. He's still with you day by day. Secondly, do you rejoice in his command to love? Does that create joy in your heart that what he says is like, hey, look, I want you to love other people the way I loved you. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. Does that create joy in you? I'd, I'd hate for you to be burdened by commandments that Jesus says are not burdensome. We should be free. We should be released to the joy of, of obeying our master in his commandments, our, our, our Lord, our Savior, our King, the lover of our hearts, out of our own love for him. And, and be motivated that as we obey him, our love is going to grow because we'll see more of who he is and more of what he's doing. So secondly, do you rejoice in his command to love? Thirdly, do you battle hatred in your heart with that love? I'll leave you with those three thoughts and ask you to take time to pray with your brothers and sisters that are with you. Maybe if you weren't able to meet with somebody at a cross point at home location, then uh, you know, make a phone call. Give me a call. Give another brother or sister a call and say, hey, will you pray with me about these three things? Or maybe just pick one of them. All right? Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.